Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. On the line with us is N. Sivasotti from the uh, Department of Biological Sciences at NUS, also known as Utterman. <laughs> Good morning, Siva. How are you today? Welcome to the show. Good morning, Glenn and Neil. Thanks. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Siva, you know, we, we, uh, this issue has come up more than once uh, over, over the you know, recent years about the otters. And, uh, of course, originally they were kind of hanging out in Marina Bay, and now they're, they're looking around town a little bit more, getting out and about. Uh, give us a, an update, kind of how many otters are there actually in Singapore right now? And uh, what, what is kind of their status, if you will, from a, from a population standpoint? Um, all right, so uh, otters were not around for a couple of decades, and when environmental conditions improved, uh, a lot of reclamation uh, was finalized. Uh, they returned from Malaysia, and the first pair to raise pups uh, did so at Sungai Buloh in 1998, right? Um, then they spread, and there may have been more than one entry into Singapore, and then, you know, we see them in Tekong and Ubin, and then in Pongol and Halus. Uh, Changi, East Coast, and then finally the city. So when there were enough otters, I could get students to start doing projects. And we realized that the otters at Bulo were eating a great diversity of fish and also prawn. But when they came to the city, they were eating the very large exotic fish that we see in the canals. And there's loads of fish, so that was like a buffet table <laughs> bursting yeah. at its side. So uh, they did well. And... Uh, when we finally did the census a couple of years ago, uh, we had about 80 authors and about 10 families. Mm. And <clears throat> there are another phenomenon happened, and that's the phenomenon of author watchers. So these are people who manage to go out every day. They wake up early, and they will follow the authors. And they started to accumulate very detailed information and on chat groups. And eventually that filtered up to us. We made friends, and uh, we now all work together. And we have better otter track. We may have the best otter tracking in the world. Yeah, I think it's hmm. better than uh, even having satellite collars on, on the otters, which is intrusive. So uh, with this close uh, association, we realized that um, the otters kind of have hit a maximal number because uh, every environment has a limit to how many animals you can support. Before we get onto the so-called negatives, I just want to focus a little bit more on what you just said about the Otter Watcher group and just reiterate the positive aspect, which is, of course, I think it was last year, wasn't it, uh, Siva? We're talking to N. Siva Sothi, the head of the Department of Biological Services at NUS. And I remember you brought an, an otter delegation to Singapore. These were otter experts that had come from all over the world they had studied otters their entire professional lives, careers. And some of them, I know you told me this story, you took them out on a recce to Passeris Park and one or two other places. And some of these middle-aged, jaded experts actually cried, didn't they? Because they had never seen an otter in the wild before. And it just reiterates how lucky we are to have this phenomenon. Yeah, when I was uh, studying them uh, for my master's in the early 90s, uh, I would track them uh, at night because uh, they're very shy and I would make sure I was upwind uh, and I wouldn't even touch, turn on my torchlight. So it was a very stealthy thing. Mm. And um, in, in Europe, it was the same way. They were very elusive. And then because they were a solitary species there, Lutra Lutra, uh, it was really tough. So scientists uh, worked around the problem by focusing on science. 
So they see signs of fecal matter, uh, they see footprints, and there are a lot of debates about how accurate all these methods are, and they managed to figure out uh, what was going on. And all that work was really important because the author, which was driven to very low numbers in Europe uh, and in extinction in some places, uh, has returned. And now the interesting thing is, they then realize that otters may not be nocturnal. They actually may be diurnal, meaning they are active in the day. Mm. It's just that due to hunting and persecution and pollution and all that, they stayed out of the way. Now that people aren't harassing them, uh, they are active in the day. And so that made sense what was happening in Singapore when expecting to hunt them stealthily, they walk across uh, my feet when we went to check out the otter at Marina Bay. And that almost blew my mind, you know, because uh, uh, elusive creature was walking across my path. So it turned out that Singapore was safe. Um, they weren't being harassed. No one was trying to kill them. And there was a lot of food. And they could revert to a natural state. So that was amazing because we never realized the natural state was be to be active in the day. Fantastic. And that's the positive aspect, which, of course, has driven the likes of David Attenborough and other documentary uh, makers to Singapore to chronicle the otters. And we have become almost the place in the world to see smooth-coated otters in their natural environment. That's the positive. Now, of course, so we lead it, to the negative. Sorry, uh, okay. we lead to the negative, which is, of course, yeah. they're doing so well. They're thriving in this urban environment. That We've had a couple of recent cases. The first one was Miss Jazreel Lowe, the former actress. She had her prized fishes attacked, eaten, at her spa in Bishan Park, but she was positive about it. She said she didn't call. She she doesn't call for otter culling. Then, of course, we had the letter in the Straits Times at the start of the week that has gone viral and and you know created a, the first real, I would say, in depth national conversation about where we go from here with otters. And I think what has surprised and depressed me a little bit, uh, Siva, is that yeah. yes, the vast majority of people love our otters, want to keep our otters, but there is a sizable minority that are calling for a reduction of numbers. What is your take on that? Well, it always surprised me that uh, immediate reaction online would be about managing or controlling numbers uh, with culling. I don't know where that sort of uh, reaction comes from. Uh, it, it is something that happens every time there's a report about otters killing koi. And, and they have been killing koi uh, several times. So may maybe let me explain. Um, people who keep fish uh, did not really realize that otters had returned to Singapore. So previously where you'd be comfortable just uh, with your pond, now it's a good idea to know if there are otters in your neighborhood, uh, do they go and explore, and then um, uh, look to fixing uh, the perimeter fence in the property. Mm. So over the years, we've uh, given advice to a lot of people. Uh, many have taken action uh, and they're just quiet about it. They're not people who complain, they're interested, mm. what's going on and all that. We do appreciate that it's quite shocking for a fish owner. Uh, you know, early morning when you have a relaxing zen time to suddenly discover that your fish have all been killed. And the thing about koi ponds, when otters come and, and they will kill like almost all the fish, is a phenomenon called surplus killing which is known for carnivores, when they come across a large clutch of prey, uh, they will hit through all of it and they eat uh, the choicest bits mm. and they'll move on, right? So that's known for all kinds of carnivores. 
Um, so in that situation, happily, there's a auto working group and we try to anticipate where we can uh, or when an incident happens and they call one of the agency or acres, uh, then we go down and provide advice. So even Changi Airport had otters turning up on their tarmac mm. and we had to go and uh, help figure that out. So it was interesting because we had to look at the perimeter from the eyes of our author and we say, oh, that's a gap, that's a gap, that's a gap. And they're like, all right, and they fixed all of it and that problem was solved. Hmm. We're speaking with N. Uh, Sivasoti, uh, the head of the Department of Biological Sciences at NUS, uh, and also uh, closely connected uh, with Otter Watch in partnership with N Parks. And a- as we talk about this population, you said uh, some ten families, uh, eighty otters. What what is the sort of a carrying capacity that our small, small-ish environment in Singapore has for these otters? Because they, they do they have any natural predators here? I, I, I was reading, doing some reading, and it didn't seem like there might be. But how, how do we, how do we go about managing the population as they are in such close proximity with, uh, with humans? So the population gets uh, managed by itself because uh, it can't expand beyond its resources. Um, which means that, okay, uh, there's plenty of fish in the canal. Uh, the main limit is space. So for a top predator, what manages their number is another top predator. Mm-hmm. So otters, uh, as they try to expand and encounter a competing group, uh, uh. there will be a fight and the loser has to back off. So they're territorial so in, in that sense. Oh, they are definitely territorial with other otters. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, if they see a crocodile in the neighborhood like they do in Sunabulo, uh then they will harass it. So mm. we used to think that huh, crocodile is going to get the otters, but the otters will uh, keep out of the way. They're really nimble, and the crocodile has a bad day. That's <laughs> the way for signaling to predators that, hey, we are here and, and back off because uh, they would pose a danger to pups. Right. And just on that point, playing devil's advocate for a moment, you know, I think the reason this debate has triggered uh, such emotional responses is that there's a sense of, well, I have my landed property, I have a pond, I spend a lot of money on koi carp, it is up to the government uh, or the government agencies to protect my property and also the safety of my loved ones, children and so on. I noticed when I posted something about it, Siva, that a lot of people said, yes, but there still should be a duty of care on the part of government agencies to protect us. We keep crocodiles out of our homes. We try to keep monkeys away from our children and we should keep otters away from our properties. What would, what would be your sort of response to that? Yeah, we, we do agree that uh, people should be safe. And so, um, um, our, our property not uh, really damaged, but the owners is on the property owner to work with us. Hmm. So, there's a lot of work which goes down to first explain people, hey, there are authors in the area. And it's usually about telling people to keep a distance. Uh, two reasons. One is when you get too close, uh, it is stressful for the author and it will affect their ability uh, to live well. The second thing is, if you keep a distance, you tend to end up seeing more. Uh, we realize the problem came from handphones. Well, people are trying to get nice photos, and the handphone camera is zoom is not great. So they keep approaching, approaching, mm. and when the otters are raising pups, uh, it's quite stressful. So from the beginning, we've said uh, watch from a distance, and then that helps. For property owners, uh, we do respond and go down and talk to them. Um, um, uh, very often, it's them reporting that their fish killed. Hmm. Uh, so what do you need to do? 
So when they are reasonable, we are able to work out solutions with them. One striking case was at Pasiris, where the <coughs> owner of a fish pond was really patient about the whole thing. Uh, his reports in the newspaper and all that, he said he accepts that a wild animal will kill fish. And so we, we worked on a solution which tried to, uh, which put in barriers from the otter's access way. So the otter water sellers, okay, this will detect, and pass goes down and uh, evaluates the situation, and then uh, we figure out what landscape planting can be done to reduce the intrusions. With uh, other owners, we've explained what they need to do. Uh, we do this for, for other animals as well. I mean, there are people who say, I have a lot of birds that turn out in my garden, but the cat comes and kills it. So we went to explore uh, solutions, uh, which were developed overseas. Um, mm. You know, they have more garden owners there and figure out a way to make the area less attractive to cats. So um, Singapore is migrating from, you know, city in the garden to city in nature. Mm. Some people complain about caterpillars. So there's an <laughs> effort to get them to realize you like the butterfly, but, you know, the caterpillars are fascinating. <laughs> it's a real science lesson at your doorstep. Uh, other people like to interact with pigeons and they feel, oh, they need help, so they feed and then the numbers get really big and then there's complaints. So uh, MPAP's uh, AVS now uh, goes down and explains, like, do you know what happens? Do you realize the connection? There's feeding, then there's increased population, increased complaint, and then government is required to take action. So some of the feeders are like, oh, okay, I see this now and realize that if they can reduce feeding to the point pigeons are able to take care of themselves, that's a number which won't really uh, be a problem to people. And that's the same thing for long-tail macaques and the same thing for wild pigs. The fascinating thing is the strong stewardship that Singaporeans uh, express. So we work on the ground, we talk to people. Uh, if you just stay online, then... I mean, I appreciate that when you're online and you're feeling a bit feisty, then like, just kill the authors. It's a <laughs> statement which is free of responsibility and mm. you know, it's everyone's right to be a badass online but when we're on the ground talking with property owners or people and all that there's a strong sense of stewardship yeah. in suggestions about how to manage animals whether it was civets or long-tail macaques or, or community cats right it's less than five percent will say oh kill the kill the animal even in some instances when they're very distressed uh it takes engagement some people are quick uh, other people it takes longer so if you look at condominiums around Bukitima the older ones have reached this understanding. Okay, I manage my behavior and the macaque, I get to see a macaque uh, in my surroundings, right? So the feeding has stopped. New condos, uh, they haven't figured it out, so they, they will evolve with it. And likewise for all of Singapore, whether it's caterpillars or, or otters or wild pigs or something else, they will evolve. Now, interesting stories. One day, Akers got a call. There was a wild pig in a street in Pasir Ris. It was right there in the open. Uh, so everyone went down and MPARCs was there and all that. And there was a member of a resident committee who kept watch to make sure that the wild pig wasn't put down. Mm. I mean, this mm. is Singapore, you know, you have a majority Chinese population, most of whom eat pork. Uh, <laughs> and they were there to ensure that uh, the first option wasn't about killing the pig. It was amazing. Uh, un unfortunately for that pig, like, it, it was quite in an extreme state of distress and uh, vets from the zoo explained that in such a situation, they're likely to die. Lah. But that mm. guy was watching. Acre mm. said, you know, uh, it's amazing that we have this strong sense of stewardship 
towards the wildlife that are beginning to share our space. That's wonderful. And, and it is changing and it is improving. And I do think there's a greater pride in the wildlife that we have in uh, Singapore, Siva. So just finally, in your opinion, both environmentally and spiritually, why is it it's so important to maintain and protect our otter population in Singapore? Well, otters are tip of the iceberg. Um, uh, in spaces they can use, you can get uh, water hens and herons and monitor lizards. Uh, we don't want to reach a dystopian city like, uh, you, you know, which was depicted in Back, Back to the Future, uh, many shows, right? It, mm. It's crazy. We've taken a lot of steps, uh, even from excessive advertising on huge billboards. Thankfully, that hasn't hit our streets, right? Mm. Uh, then there is the effort to try to ensure that there's green spaces which are connected. We had a sense of it right from the beginning, right? Greening of Singapore. Uh, but later on, people realized, hey, this has uh, medical uh, benefits to people who are living in a hard space of a city, as well as patients who are recovering in hospitals. Even a picture on a wall can make a difference. So, uh, MPARCs are collaborating with uh, medical researchers to, ex- to understand that impact uh, in a city. And a livable city is what we aspire to be. Uh, and share the experience very strongly with other cities around the world. It's something that has a strong connection with nature. E.O. Wilson called this biophilia, and you can see it in stressful times when people flock to parks mm. or begin to look at the wildlife that uh, is coming to them around in their gardens. And even, you know, the other day I looked out the window and there was a sunbird on the 18th floor of my flat, and that's due to the intense greening efforts around us. So when they search for nesting material, uh, they do come and take uh, my cat's uh, fur. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, thanks to Otterman and Siva Soti from the uh, NUS Department of Biological Sciences and, and on part of Otter Watch, uh, watching over some 80 otters, 10 families uh, in Singapore. Really appreciate your time and explaining what the situation is with our Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.